Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to toggle back and forth between those two passages, but let me not get ahead of myself. For all of you in here that are a mom, let me wish you happy, happy, happy Mother's Day. Uh, if you're visiting with us, maybe you're with family. Uh, my name is Pastor Gill. I'm the senior pastor of Lakeshore. We have three campuses. This is your TKK campus. It's in the second service of the day, and we're absolutely thrilled that you're here. In fact, as we get to the end of the message, I'm going to ask every mom, uh, in, starting with the ones who actually have children, and maybe those of you that are pregnant with a promise, Maybe you're believing God for children. Maybe you're believing God for the restoration of a family that, for whatever reasons, estranged, been estranged or fat, fractured. But I want you to know, we, we, we understand that. And we're going to pull everybody together. And we want to be speaking the blessing of the Lord over you and declaring this faithful God that this is going to be your best and most fruitful year up to date. And that's just not ambitious from us. That, that's us realizing that the Bible says that the path of the just just shines brighter and brighter and brighter. It doesn't mean that it's always funner and funner and funner, but it means that until we get to heaven, our best days are always ahead, blossoming. God's helping us to understand that. And then when we get to heaven, the Bible says it never taps out. We just keep on getting better and better uh, as we live in the blessings of the Lord. Well, today, I want to talk to you about, uh, about being a mama bear. In fact, that's where this whole thing started. I was watching a Discovery Channel, uh, and they were talking about the five most dangerous bears in North America. Now, I'm really not a, you know, an animal fan. or a, no, I'm not a lover. Maybe I'm a liker. I'm certainly not really into bears. Uh, but but, I, but I, this was so fascinating. It was the polar bear and the grizzly bear and the Kodiak bear and a couple of different brown bears. And these were like the most fierce and ferocious. Some of them were up to 10 feet tall. A couple of them weighed 1,300 to 1,500 pounds. They were all hunters and scavengers and meat eaters and ferocious if anything or anybody encroached their territory or tried to harm their young. And, and I, mean, I, I, can, I mean, I can tell you a lot of facts about it just be from watching the program, but I just had this random thought as the program was ending. I thought that was a really good documentary. And then I had a thought, but they didn't cover the most ferocious bear of all. I mean, the one that's known worldwide, right? Comes in all shapes and sizes. Not all of them are meat eaters and some of them have different passions and different temperaments and different you know, uh, perspectives on things. But everybody understands the ferociousness the mama bear. Come on now, don't act like you don't. How many of you know a mama bear? Let me see your hand. All right, hands down. How many of you have scars because you tangled with a mama bear? You didn't think it was going to be a big deal, but it was. I won't ask you to respond because I already know the answer to this one. How many of you are sitting here because a mama bear rose up and protected and nurtured and day after day, night after night, just worked you through so that you could get to the place where you are today. Listen, mama bears are, are, are absolutely essential. And one of the things that struck me is the fact that we, we are watching a drift, a shift, 
about 50 years ago, it seemed like, and, and don't quote me on that, it's just a very broad, loose uh, statistic there, but about 50 years ago, it seemed like that the enemy was targeting men, doing everything he could to silence them, to push them in the shadows. You know, they, they can work a job and they can be, you know, have careers and stuff, but, but he didn't want them involved with the family at all. And so he started pushing them to the back and discrediting them and kind of chipping away at, at their confidence. And, and statistics have said progressively uh, over the last 50 years or so that he's been pretty successful. Because if you look in Bible history, the patriarchs, or you look even in American history, the, the ones that were strong and courageous and outspoken and the spiritual leaders of their homes, by and large, were, were the men. Not to discredit the women, but the guys were just up there, man. They were, they were leaders and protectors of their homes. But now the statistics say that by and large, most men, and that might be an exaggeration, I'm just going by what they said, are barely participating. Not that they're not good income earners. Not that they're not even good guys. But, but the leadership, the courage, the strength, the run to the battle, that's not happening like it was. In fact, I'm a pastor, so we pay attention to some statistics. And, uh, and it's interesting that when we talk about Mother's Day, that's been progressively, although it's slipping because the culture's slipping uh, overall. But Mother's Day has always been one of the top three attended Sundays uh, of the year. Uh, this is, this is uh, nationally speaking, but Father's Day, hands down for the last 50 years, has been the bottom of the run. I mean, you, you just have to work hard to get dads to even come to church. It's their day. They want to do anything but come into the house of the Lord. I'm telling you, that, that's a plan of the enemy. So here, here's my, my, uh, my analogy. is I, I, I think that the enemy feels like, okay, we got the men, and, and they're not coming out anytime soon, so we got them. So now we're going to move over to, to the women. Now we're going to move over to the moms, and we're going to do everything that we can to cancel these, this mama bear influence. And so it's interesting, over the last couple of years, we've watched in news cycles, every once in a while, you know, you'll see a dad step up to the mic in some school board meeting or, or a congressional hearing or some protest rally, but by and large, week after week, it's the moms. It's like they step up to the mic and they're like, oh, no, you didn't. You're not, you're not going to steal the hearts and the minds and the bodies of my children, at least not without a protest. And they're kind of leading this charge. And so the enemy seems to have found a posture here, she seems to have found a, an ability through this postmodern anti-God kind of a, a, a theology, if you will, the social gospel included. He's found a way to find the heartbeat of, of the way that moms were wired to do everything he can to neutralize their voice. Now, I, I know that I'm, I'm dancing in uh, politically incorrect territory to be that gender specific. But by and large, this is from the Bible, but it's also from sociology, by and large, women are by nature more nurturers. And women by nature, you know, just have that special connection because they're the ones that grow the babies in the womb, right? And so the enemy has targeted that. And, and, and here's what we find. In fact, there's a book uh, that, that I would highly recommend. It's called Mama Bear Apologetics. And the subtitle is empowering your kids to challenge, uh, cult, challenge the cultural lies. And I would, if, if you're a mom, if you're a grandma, I would highly recommend this because it does such a great job at so plainly pointing out the, the challenges that we're facing in these days. Uh, if you want more information, you can get that at the Welcome Center. They can help you to know, know how to get that. 
But today I want to talk, if I had to put a title on this, it would be, how do I live out mama bear faith in a postmodern world? And, and we're going to go at this by answering three questions, and I'm going to give you the three questions because it's going to create kind of a roadmap so you know where we're at in the message. The first thing we're going to look at is, we're going to look at what are moms up against in today's postmodern anti-God culture. The second thing we're going to look at is, how does, what does the Bible say about how we, they, we should respond and the third thing is we're going to look at three essential areas straight from Scripture. Super practical, super doable, but very important that we're intention, intentional to, in, to engage these where we can be victorious uh, as parents and in the lives of our kids. And so the first one, again, is what is it that mama bears, and all of us as parents, dads, you too, so listen up, but we're talking to moms. What is it that mama bears are up against in the postmodern culture? And it's interesting because they use this nurturing component and they've postured it into something that's called emotionalism. Now, I'm not making this stuff up. You can Google it. I mean, the definitions are, are, you know, are not too widespread. But here's what emotionalism is defined as. It's a bent towards placing an excess amount of value on one's emotion and experience. And again, in this book, Mama Bear Apologetics, in chapter 10, they really deal with this area. And one of the contributors to the content, T.C. Cannon, she describes how this approach uh, was, was moving in her life from a pretty young age and, and kind of how, how, it, how it's progressed and how she's understood it. Here's what she says. She said, I simply loved feeling and thinking about feelings and talking about feelings. And I believe there's nothing wrong with that. Emotions are a gift from God. He uses them to touch us and to teach us. But I'm pretty sure he never meant for them to lead us. Emotions are like toddlers. They're really fun, but you never put one of them in charge. <laughs> now, now, the chapter keeps unfolding, and, and it explains to us that that's exactly what this postmodern chapter is trying to do with emotionalism, and they do it by adding two different components to it. They add certain assumptions and, and I'm going to read them off in just a moment. There's three of them. But they add these assumptions. They're presumed or prescribed truths that kind of form uh, the baseline or a mindset that, that they climb into. And they talk about them as if everybody knows this, common knowledge. This is widely accepted truth. But, but they just kind of assign it. And then the next thing they do is they assign three frameworks to package the message so that to make sure that it gets it, it's passed along in the exact form they want it to. Now, again, listen, this, this is not just a cultural evolution. This was all very intentional. This was designed in conferences and, and in intellectual forums where people literally came up with and, and said, this is, this is the strategy that we can use and we can literally capture a whole generation and we can turn a culture uh, for good. And, and so this is what they've done. So here's the three assumptions, and you're going to recognize these, right, because they're all over. Uh, number one is that you cannot choose or control your emotions. And you may not have heard it like that, but here's the tagline. Well, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. And that's just like common knowledge. Everybody knows that. We, we might have you know, said that to excuse something that we wanted to do. Or, or to try to rationalize and try to understand why there's such a pull in the lives of one of our children or some of our friends. And, well, you know, the heart just wants what the heart wants. And, and the second one, then they stack on top of that one, is that all negative emotions are harmful. And, and, and the problem is this lumps abusive 
abusive experiences in with the discomfort of learning discipline and restraint. It's like it's all the same, right? If, if this is negative, if it doesn't make me feel happy, if it doesn't make me feel good, if it doesn't just you know, give me the opportunity to kind of feel my way through this and, and follow my heart, then, uh, then it's dangerous. In fact, this is harmful. This is stifling my development and my growth somehow. And, and so from there, you have, uh, you have the snowflake generation that, that comes in. Again, I'm not making this up. You can read this stuff. And the snowflake generation is defined as people or young adults whose personal uh, equilibrium is so delicate that it's like the fresh snow on a sunny day. From the time, it, you know, the time that they step in, it's already melting. So whatever you do, don't do anything to disturb that. Well, here's the third assumption. The third one is that you have to change reality in order to protect your emotions. Because we can't choose or control the emotions we have. We can't stop. I don't know why I feel this way. I just do. And the heart wants what the heart wants. And because any negative emotion is harmful to my being able to follow my heart, then the only thing we can do, or the rational thing from this perspective, is to change or eliminate whatever causes negative emotions so that we can live what we deem as a healthy life. By the way, welcome to the cancel culture. You can't introduce any other thoughts, any other principles, because that's negative. And, and that would be harmful because I'm following how, how this is developing in me and I've got to follow my heart and I can't, you know, I can't handle negative, negative vibes or negative emotions. Well, they, so, so that, that's kind of the theology, right? That, that's their philosophy all packaged together. The way they keep this moving is they set a framework and you're going to recognize these too. The first thing they do is they have inserted trigger warnings. And trigger warnings are written or verbal disclaimers that are inserted to alert people either in advance, so you can see them on movies now, you can see them in, in certain advertisements, uh, or in a conversation. Right in the middle of a conversation, someone could say, oh, so, hold on for a second, that's kind of a trigger for me. So we, we need to go somewhere else, or we need to find a different approach to this, because that's a real trigger for me. And so when it does that, uh, it, it, it says, this is going to be uncomfortable for me. We have to change direction. That's part of the packaging, right? The second one is this baseline that says that you, you just need to follow your heart. And, and I, I, yeah, I've met parents. I've, I've been tempted. But parents who are just bewildered and say, I don't know what to tell you, sweetheart. Just follow your heart. Just, just kind of follow that. And, and the whole undergirding of the teaching is that our heart is the real barometer of our truth. The problem is our pesky minds get in the way. We've got all this rationale and all this hesitation and all, all this calculation. And, but if we can somehow just turn off our minds, then we'll be able to clearly hear what our heart is saying. I'm, 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 I'm not far off. I might be exact in the verbiage there. But the problem is Jeremiah 17, 9 adamantly disagrees. And here's what it says. It says, no, the heart is deceitful above all things. And des desperately wicked, it says, who can know it? I don't know about you, but I've thought back over my upbringing, and I am so glad that my parents just didn't stand back and say, well, just follow your heart. Because my heart would have got me in a mess. If I would have followed my heart, man, I would have gotten some situations, some relationships, some, you know, some career paths and stuff that I would have hated, never wanted to do that. 
But my parents were like, slow down for a second. We just don't do what our heart says. Let, let's spend some time and see what the word of God says and see what the Lord says. Here's, here's number three, the last part of the packaging. It's the I'm offended escape clause. Again, because emotionalism is driven by what, what some will refer to as the 11th, the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice. And some of your expressions are like, that's in there? No, it's not in there. Just so you know that, it's not in there. But they talk like it is, right? This is an assumed or a prescribed truth. And they say, yeah, but God's a God of love. But he's all about accepting people. And they have all these rationales. Well, if you don't accept them as they are, then you won't be able to minister to them. And yeah, true, but there's so many qualifiers in there that you're leaving out. In fact, we just had last weekend 200 churches on the east, in the eastern demographic here left one of the major denominations because of just this. And, and so he, we've, we've got this, so I, I am offended, it's the 11th commandment, and, and here's the problem is, they use this, thou shalt be nice, but listen, but they use it as a club to make sure that nobody points to the other 10 commandments. Well, you can't do that, because that would be offensive and that, that would be hurt. So here's the reality, and by the way, you can scroll any one of your social media feeds, watch, watch the comment, okay, but read down into the other comments that people make, and you'll hear this everywhere. If somebody, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's just a Christian, maybe it's someone who's trying to do the right thing, no matter how gracious they are, no matter how wide the grip, we just want you to know we're not trying to offend anybody, that we love everybody, you know, but we're trying to point out that the, the word of God says, or maybe even social statistics validate, sciences validate. If you try to put any of that in there, here's what's interesting. One of the initial and, hard, and big reactions you're going to get from Christians too is that they are more offended that you confronted sin than they are the fact that God is offended by that sin. It's like, how dare you bring that up? How dare you point that out? I mean, the offense is all about, well, I'm offended, so you can't do it. Here's the, the, the end result, the truth is, godly parenting's tough. The Bible doesn't, doesn't make, you know, uh, Make, make excuses for that. We're in a fallen world and godly parents is gonna take courage, it's gonna take confidence, it's gonna take straight strength, it's gonna take uh, consistency. Godly parenting is tough, but when you come from this postmodern approach, godly parenting is impossible. And I mean that in the strictest terms because you don't have any of, of the mechanics to work with. You can't talk about anything. You can't bring anything. All you can do is just smile and accept and love and watch the people that you love go right off a cliff. That's the postmodern approach. But here's the great news. This is not new information. This is not new. I know the world's crazy, but it's not the first time the world's been crazy. And this is pretty much what Paul wrote about in his second letter to the Corinthians when he's confronting a group of particularly obnoxious leaders that are trying to challenge his apostolic authority. They're trying to, to slander his character as a minister, and they're trying to pervert the true gospel with another gospel. In fact, let me give you a preview. I know I asked you to turn to 2 Corinthians 10, but we're going to look at a couple of scriptures in 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul's sharing his heart. Uh, can I say for this morning, his mama bear heart? And you'll hear this and understand it. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm in verse 1. By the way, I'm, most of the scriptures today are going to be from the NIV uh, we usually use a different translation, but it's just a little bit easier to understand so that we don't have to work so hard because we, we want to put our attention on what the Bible is actually saying. So first, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul's writing. He says, I hope you'll put up with me in a little foolishness. 
Now let me just stop. If you can read the rest of the chapter, the foolishness Paul's referring to is the fact that he's going to take time to qualify why, why it is that he really is an apostle of God. That he really does bring the, the, you know, the, the, the mandate and bring the knowledge to the table that can help them, that can get a church started, that can get a Christian life started and help them to develop. It's kind of like, you know, when you get as a parent and you get in a position with, with your child and you want to say, because mom said so. But they're asking, but why? Why do you get to say it? And so, you know, it's the silliest thing in the world. Okay, I'm going to take a couple of minutes and I'm going to explain to you why mommy gets to say so and you don't get to say so. We shouldn't have to go through this explanation, but just so that you understand, I'm hearing your question and I'm trying to give you answers, I'm going to do it. Paul says, this is the silliest thing in the world, but bear with me and let me give you my credentials so that uh, we, we can kind of square away the slanders that are coming against me. So he says, I hope you put up with me in a little foolishness. Yes, please put up with me. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Now here's where he's airing his concerns. He says, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Here's why, verse four. For if someone comes to you and preaches another Jesus, a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or if a different gospel from the one you accepted, uh, from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. The Amplified Version says you tolerate all of this, welcoming them the, the deception. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm like super nervous. I'm looking at how you guys are framing stuff in, and I'm really nervous that if someone comes and presents a different Jesus, like the social gospel, that you'll forget everything you learned about the Jesus of the Bible, and you'll say, well, you know, that's true. He, he just needs to be, you know, loving and kind, and he needs to have such a gentle appearance and long flowing hair like a shampoo model, and he, he just needs to be the perfect picture of, of what acceptance would be. And you're like, yeah, that, that might be fun to think about, and that might make you feel good about yourself or somebody that you know but you're forgetting the Jesus of the Bible. He says, well, yeah, but another spirit could come than the spirit you know. And, and again, I've had people send me videos and, and articles, Pastor, you gotta read this, man, it's powerful, it's powerful. And by the way, I love that. And I'll read it as much as I can and I'll listen to it. But I had one recently, I had to go back to the person. He said, what'd you think? It was powerful. Well, yeah, it was totally powerful. Did you notice it was heretical? Did you notice this was not based on the Bible at all, but it was powerful, I'll give you that. Really, he said, and that's what I'm talking about. He said, you're not thinking. You're just kind of floating down the, down the path and, and the enemy's just taking you around this. And he said, my concern is that you're gonna be just like Eve. You're gonna be like, yeah, no, that makes kind of a lot of sense. And the next thing you know, you're eating a piece of fruit you're not supposed to. And he says, I'm really concerned about this. So you can see where that's mama bear stuff, right? Because mama bears are paying attention. Mom's like, ah, I don't know, man. Something feels sideways there. And so let's go back to chapter 10. And, and that kind of sets up, what is it that you and mama bears are facing? And this is real cultural stuff. Again, I'm not making it up. You can identify it everywhere. You can Google it and verify it for yourself. But here's the part we wanna get to today. Then how does the Bible say to respond? Because the Bible's very intentional, very definite, right? It's not the first time it happened. God's never caught off guard. And God's gonna show us uh, through the Apostle Paul here how you as mama bears, dads too, 
can be victorious and confident at every single point as you're moving through the chaotic and crazy culture that we're in and, and trying to help the people that you love. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1, this is Paul writing. He says, by the humility and the gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. And I know somebody wants to say right there, see, see, Pastor Gil, that's what we're talking about. It's the humility. It's the love. It's the gentleness of Christ. And, and I'm not going to argue with you. Listen, that's, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That should characterize all of our lives all the time. But I do want to point out that Paul's just getting started. Because he's going to turn a corner real fast here in the next verse. He goes on and he says, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you went away. Now, now you probably didn't recognize it because you have to get to verse 10. But listen, that's sarcasm. Because in verse 10, they, they, here's what they're saying about Paul. Well, yeah, you know him. He's all bold when he writes a letter. But when he gets here, he don't want to talk about anything controversial. It's like, yeah, you're big and bad on your texts and emails. But as soon as you sit down for coffee, you know, you're just all soft and, and, and weak again. And, and Paul, so Paul's just being sarcastic. He says, yeah, remember, that's me, the guy who's weak, the guy who, who will talk big when he's not around, but then come. And he's being sarcastic here, but he goes on. He says, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. That's a threat. This is the same Paul who, in humility and the gentleness of Christ, oh yeah, the fruit of the Spirit's working. But he said, first of all, I'm gonna be a little sarcastic because this is who you said I am. You and I know better. And now he said, here's a threat. Don't make me come over there. Listen, listen to what I'm saying, right? Read the text, read the email. Don't make me come and confront you. He goes on and he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage, world, uh, wage war as the world does. That's an indictment against all of these undermined, underhanded, uh, uh, obnoxious leaders that are slandering him, not using any truth in any principle. In other words, Paul's saying, listen, I'm not afraid to fight but there's no way I'm going to let you lure me into a fight on your terms or to fight the way the world does. It's not going to happen. In fact, listen to how it reads in the message. It says the world's unprincipled. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have, never will. Paul said, yeah, you're not going to lure me out into that. So if we look deeper then in verse number three, it starts us on this trail of discovery to say, okay, so then how do we respond? To, to this philosophy, this, this postmodern culture that's just driving this stuff home and people, Christians, are swallowing it, just gulping it down. How do we stand up against that? And in verse three again, he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And the term wage war there is really important because this is from the Greek word stratuo. It's where we get strategy. He's talking about a battle plan that is designed in a war room somewhere that's going to win the entire war. This is, this is long-term thinking. This is like, here's our goal. We're not taking our eyes off the goal. We got battles, 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 but that's the strategy for war. We're gonna keep pressing. We're gonna keep doing what we're supposed to do. And he says, we're, we're just gonna go with that. And so the question then is, we know that we're in a battle, but what is that battle supposed to look like? Who are we fighting? And this is where we're going to go over to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, we're going to be there for a few minutes, then we're going to come back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Because Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's in a different scenario. Paul's actually sitting in a Roman prison. 
Paul's engaged in a spiritual battle himself. He's trying to fulfill his calling. He's trying to get these churches that he started up and on their feet and get them strong and straight for the Lord so they can begin discipling other people. But Paul keeps running into all these challenges. He's shipwrecked and he has riots that are, you know, they're throwing him out of town. He's been beaten and left for dead like multiple times. Uh, not, not only that, he's running, he ran short on resources. And in this particular case, Paul's been arrested for preaching the gospel, and he's now in a Roman prison, and he's writing letters to the churches, right? The same thing the, the, the Corinthian church was saying, yeah, you talk big in a letter, that's because I'm in prison. I'm trying to get this over to you. I'm gonna get there as quick as I can, but, but let me get it over to you. So Paul's in a prison, and I want you to understand he's in a prison surrounded by Roman soldiers. That was the law enforcement of the day, but it's also the military. And so he's kind of in this military compound and he's like, I'm fighting a spiritual battle. And all of a sudden he can see the metaphor. He can see, wow, this is the same as what's going on. And he begins to write Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now in second Corinthians chapter 10, he says, we don't wage war. That was the long-term, that was the, 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 the battle plan to win the war. This is how we're going to do it, and we're just going to keep doing it and doing it and doing it, and we'll eventually win the war. But Paul's in prison. He, I mean, he's in the middle of it, in the thick of it, down in the trenches, and so he changes metaphors in this letter, and he says, we're struggling. Some of your translations say we're wrestling. But this is the term that talks about hand-to-hand -hand combat. This is not the big war room way. This is hand-to-hand -hand combat. You know what this is. This is when you're in a situation that either came gradually or all of a sudden just exploded and you can feel the tension and you can feel the pressure and you can, man, you feel like you're just in a hand, you're fighting for your life. That's exactly what this particular term means. He says, but we have to understand when we're in those hand-to-hand -hand combat situations, this is not our, our, our long-term strategy. This is the actual battles that happen day in and day out in different areas of our life. He said, we need to understand we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Uh, let, let, me, let me say it this way. We're not fighting against people. Even though you might be standing with somebody, maybe somebody that you love, you don't like them right now, but you love them. Or maybe somebody that you're listening to on a news or reading an article and you can feel your blood begin to boil and you can feel, man, that there's a defensiveness, there's an adversarial thing that's beginning to happen. And what you'd like to do, or at least a part of you that's not sanctified yet, you'd like to clobber them. You'd like to take matters into your own hands, but Paul says, okay, don't forget, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. In other words, you might be in a very heated conversation with that person, but that person's not really the issue here. It's not the systems. It's not the school board. I'm not saying that we shouldn't make our voice known. It's not the government. I'm not saying that we shouldn't vote and do what we need to do to play our part in a republic so that we can see the righteousness of God move forward. Okay, all those things are important. But Paul says, when we're talking about the intensity of hand-to-hand -hand combat, he says, stop thinking it's what's standing right in front of you. It's not. You're not fighting against flesh and blood, but he goes on and says, but here's what you are fighting against. Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. We don't have time to unpack all that, but let me just condense it by saying, you're not even fighting against the combat soldiers in the devil's army. This is not trench warfare. 
He, everybody he lists here, these are high-ranking military leaders. These are the shot callers, which tells us the hand-to-hand combat that you're really in, even though you're looking at a person, even though you're wrestling through a circumstance, even though you're trying to navigate a system, the hand-to-hand combat you're really navigating is a white-collar battle that's happening with people that are with, with, with entities that are over and they're, they're fighting this battle with strategy and, and with authority. In other words, l- listen, if, if you find yourself getting angry, then you're already on the wrong path. You're not gonna win that with anger. Th- think about it this way. Think about the battle that Paul says you're fighting. The hand-to-hand combat is like two very highly skilled lawyers battling it out in front of a judge on a high-profile case. They're not throwing punches. It's not getting personal, not supposed to. If it does, the judge will stop that uh, lest he risks a mistrial. But the, these, are, these are people, in fact, I've heard somebody say it this way, that oftentimes Christians are playing checkers and the enemy's playing chess. He understands this is about strategy. This is about whose who's word, whose idea, who's bringing evidence to the table that is that is big enough and solid enough to win the case over the other person. He understands this, and he says, when we're in a wrestling match, you might think it's against, you know, your partner or, or, your, or your teenager or the system, what he said. No, no, they're just kind of the messenger. They're, they're with the visible. He said the real wrestling match is happening in this white collar. So listen, we're, we're not fighting people. We're not fighting systems. Instead, we're engaged in a close contact white collar wrestling match to determine who gets to control the outcomes of the destinies of our family. Does the enemy get to control that? Or does God get to control it? And Paul says, you have to understand this is how you do it. Well, then here comes the, sec- the second truth followed by the second question. Okay, so if we're in a war and that's what the war looks like and we're not supposed to fight the way the world does, then how do we fight? And if we back up to verse number 10, then Paul is initiating this. Here's what he says. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, this is such great news, right? Because this is talking about people that realize pretty early in the battle, I can't do this. It's the kind, you know, of situation that arises and all of a sudden, you know, you, you feel like you're so overwhelmed, you just go to bed. I, maybe you've never been there. I've been there. It's like, I just got to lay down. I, I, I'm so lost. And all of a sudden, it's like somebody gut punched me a dozen times and all my strength just drains out. It's like, I can't even think right now. In fact, Paul said uh, in, in Romans, he said, there are times when I'm at my weakest and instead of letting that frustrate me or intimidate me, I've come to realize, well, when, I, my, when I'm at my weakest, I can invite the Lord to come and he's at his strongest because I get out of the way and now here comes the full might of his strength. And, and this is what they're hinting to. He said, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. In fact, listen to the Phillips translation. It says, in conclusion, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord, in the power of his boundless resource. In other words, God's got resources that we can tap into that make up for your weakness, make up for your confusion, make up for your feeling, like, I don't know what to do. I don't think we can do anything here. Well, you can. By tapping into the power and the strength of the Lord by saying, yeah, I'm done. I don't even know what to do. But I know the Lord can pick up from here. And this is what Paul's going to posture us with. All right. So we're in verse number 11 now. He says, this is how to do it. Put on the full armor of God. And this is important you see this. It literally means you have to change outfits. 
So you understand this if you're dressed for a sunny day because you're going to go to a cookout somewhere and you walk out the door and you forgot to check the weather app and it's thunderstorms. You're like, ah. So you got to turn back around, at least get a light rain jacket or something. You can't stand there. You'll get soaked. So you can't just stand there like that, maybe grab an umbrella. You have to intentionally say, I'm not dressed right. I've got to go back and change outfits. And that's literally what this means. Only here it means when you recognize you're in one of these tense struggles and you can feel the pull and the insecurity and the fear and the frustration, all that just yanking you all around, then it's your clear, very clear sign, I gotta change outfits. I gotta go put the mindset of God's word on. I can't think like this, I can't think like I would in my natural senses because I wanna clobber the person. Because I want to say, look, you're being, this, you're being so silly. Here's the truth, and that's not working. And I want to just get so frustrated, but I have to instead say, nope, I'm going to put the mindset of the word of God on, and I'm going to climb into that. And he says, you have to do that so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Again, this word schemes is where we get the word, his methodology. In other words, he's got a strategy. You're playing checkers. He's playing chess. But he's trying to get you to play checkers so he can stay three or four moves ahead of you. And, and, and we fall right into it, right? We get caught up in the emotion. We get caught up in the power struggle. We get caught up in the principle of it all. And we don't realize, well, I, I need to change mindsets. I'm not just having a discussion. I'm in a battle. I'm not just trying to navigate something. I, I'm in the middle of a war here and I need to change. And then he goes on and he says this. We've already read it, but I'll read it quickly for context. For our struggles, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces in evil in the heavenly realm. Verse number 13, therefore put on the whole armor of God. Now this is important, really important for you. Whenever the Bible repeats itself, it's not just to put more ink on the page. Whenever it repeats itself because it's trying to, to, to get you to perk up and say, you don't want to miss this. I, I'm saying it again because I'm not sure you got it the first time, so I'm saying it again. He's saying, listen, when you get in this situation, you're going to have to be very intentional to say, okay, I've got to put on a different mindset. I've got to think totally different if I'm going to walk out of this thing victorious. And then he goes on and he says, you have to do that so that when the day of evil comes, not if, when? And we get, this, we get this idea in Christendom that if we can just, you know, get our devotions right and we can get our worship on with the Lord and we can, you know, be faithful to church and get everybody peaceful, that somehow that Christianity for us is just going to be a walk in a flowery, beautiful park. Not in this lifetime. We're fighting against an enemy. You don't, you don't fight every single day, every minute of the day, but you know when you're in it. And sometimes you're in seasons where the skirmishes just keep coming. You get out of one battle and you turn around and boom, there's another one. And boom, there's another one. And other times you might go for a long stretch. And you'll even say to yourself, huh, you've been unusually peaceful. Enjoy that. <laughs> Build yourself up. Because he says, when the day of evil comes, he said that you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. The Amplified Translation says, when you've done all that the crisis demands to be able to still be standing just as firm, just as confident, and stand until the victory comes. Well, the next thing Paul's gonna do is he's gonna outline, well, what is this armor, right? Because we, we found out in the other one that we have weapons that we're fighting a warfare, and so th this is not flowery, just be nice, don't rock the boat language. This is saying, no, there are times in our life where we have to engage, we have to get real mama bear about this. 
And so Paul says, so here's what the armor looks like, and I'm not gonna take the time to go through it, uh, but I will just tell you this. Every one of the pieces of armor that Paul's going to describe is, is, is the application of the word of God in an area of your life. And it's important you, that you understand that because th there's some real interesting teaching out there about spiritual warfare, right? Some of it's super dramatic and super theatrical, like, and, and I'm not making fun of you when I say this, but like, you know, I get up every morning and before my feet hit the floor, I just put on my helmet and I put on my breastplate and I grab my shield and I grab my sword. And, and, and listen, if that's you, I, that's great. Do, if that helps you, the Old Testament is full of illustrated sermons. I got no problem if you want to do that. And then I just march around my house, you know, and I say in the name of Jesus, you know, the devils have to get out and, and, I'm, and I'm being a little bit theatrical, but I'm not making fun. If that helps you, that's fine. But here's what you have to understand. Don't confuse the theatrics with what the word of God's actually trying to get across. Because you may be in another situation. Maybe you're standing in a grocery store. Or maybe you're in a meeting somewhere and all of a sudden you realize, okay, it's on. We're in a spiritual battle right now. And you don't have the time to say, hey, I need 10 minutes to walk to the foyer or I'm gonna go to the produce aisle and I'm gonna get all this on. I'm gonna start marching. I'm gonna get my praise on. You, you, don't, you don't have time to do that. You don't have time to do that. You, you, have, to, you have to understand this enough to say, oh, no, no, I need to change mindsets. I just entered into a spiritual battle. We're not losing this one but we're not being drugged into fighting the way everybody else fights. This is not gonna be a shouting match. This is not gonna be a power struggle. It's not gonna get personal, like I'm hurt my feelings. No, I know who I am in Christ. And we're gonna stay with, with what the Bible says. And so he, he's gonna list all those things. Let me just read it quickly. He says, we have, that we stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around our waist, with the breastplate of righteousness, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. I, I can't teach, but I have to just mention this. I have to just mention this. The gospel of peace is not peaceful slippers. Because sometimes we're, we're trying to get peaceful, right? Well, if I can just find the peace of God, and I just want to you know, put on some praise music, and, and I just want to like, you know, drink my, my herbal tea, and, and I just want to you know, find my zen, find, find my happy place. And it's not that. These are not slippers. These are combat boots. And these are realizing that peace belongs to you. And there are times when you put your foot down in, with the enemy in this white-collar courtroom case, and you say, knock it off. We're not doing that. I'm not arguing with you anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. Knock it off. And you put, put your foot down. And that's actually what the Bible says we need to do with peace. In fact, there are some Christians that they experience what the Bible calls peace that passes understanding. And it freaks them out. I don't know why I'm so peaceful. I should be upset. I should be worried. I should be concerned. And you'll talk yourself right out of peace. Instead of talking yourself into or reminding yourself that this is combat weaponry. And when that peace that passes understanding, it doesn't mean you can't think, doesn't mean you can't strategize, doesn't mean you can't look for wisdom, but you can do it from a place of peace. You're not clouded because you're not, you're not, you're not frantic. Like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Stop, stop. Put your foot down and say peace. All right, let me go on. He goes on, he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows uh, of the evil one. Oh, I'm not gonna teach on this, but I gotta tell you this one too, Okay. He says all the flaming arrows. You know what flaming arrows are? It, it's when they used to take an arrow that was flaming and shoot it over the wall of the fortress. And these are the thoughts that come to you when you're trying to do what the Lord says. 
And all of a sudden, a thought comes to you and says, you don't deserve that, though. God's not going to come through for you. You're not even a great Christian. I mean, when's the last time you read your Bible? You've only been to church once a month. You know, and it just starts pointing out all your flaws, and you start thinking, you know what? I don't know if God can do it. That's a flame. It just went right in and set your brain on fire. Or it's the what-if scenarios. Well, yeah, I, I know that God's faithful, and I know it seems like everything's okay now, but what if this, and what if that, and, what if, and pretty soon you can't sleep at night. But the Bible says the shield of faith will extinguish every one of those. None of them get to your brain. It's like you shut them down before they even get there. It's like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that. Yep, nope, not even thinking about that. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and listen to this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Everybody say, on all occasions. Not just at mealtime, not just at bedtime, not just first thing in the morning. Good morning, Lord. Thank you. You know, thank you for giving me another day. I'm not marching. All those things are great. But he said, praying in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. And then he summarizes and he says this, with this in mind. He means with all that in mind. With all that, we're not fighting, we're not fighting flesh and blood, and we're wrestling, you know, hand-to-hand combat, but it's a white-collar combat, kind of, you know, legal jousting over with with lawyers that are building a case based, based on truth, and you have to get into the mindset to be thinking based in truth, and thinking like that chess, you know, like, like, like that strategy, you have to be getting into that mindset, and don't get, you know, too lost in your emotions, and you have to walk through the Word of God. He said, with all of those things in mind, he said... Even still, stay alert. Stay alert. And always keep praying for all of the Lord's people. All right, take that with you, and we'll go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Stay with me. We're almost done here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, listen to this. He says, so the weapons we fight with, well, now that makes a little more sense. Now he's talking. He said, we don't, we don't wage war. The, the battle plan we have is not the battle plan that the world has. But there are times when we get into these skirmishes, they'll happen, battle skirmishes over and over as we are marching forward in the destiny God has for us. The enemy's gonna challenge us often. And when you get in those situations, you need to put on your mindset, you need to strap on your spiritual armor, and you need to know how to fight. And so he says here, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, he's talking about our weapons, have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, this is important you understand, all right? He says our weapons are not just intellectual. They're not just one-to-one. Well, you know, they brought a gun, so I'm gonna bring a gun. No, no, it's like they have a straw with a spitwad, and you pull out your nuclear code. There's no match here. There's no, no opportunity for defeat. He says the weapon we have have divine power. This means you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to get, you know, chapter and verse and and get everything just right. You know, that's not true. This is divine power, not your power. And he says, and this divine power, when you bring the word of God, the weaponry of the word of God, the Bible says, when you bring that to bear, he says, you're in a spiritual, uh, a spiritual wrestling match now in a lawyer-type white-collar struggle. And he says, when you do that, it will demolish strongholds. First of all, the word demolish means it will grind something down to powder so you can't even recognize what it is, much less reassemble it. Can't be done. 
And he said, strongholds, these strongholds are like what I just told you about emotionalism. They're well-crafted sets of beliefs that have been constructed to cause you to be at odds with what the word of God says, things that'll make you. And he says, listen, your weapons will totally destroy and demolish those. Now, here's the point. Not like the world does. You're not demolishing the person. You're not demolishing the system. You're not demolishing the structure. You may not win that argument because they're fighting with weapons in a, in, in a different premise. He says, but you can win that battle hands down every time where your life is concerned, where your family is concerned, where the blessings of the God, uh, God and the plan, the destiny of God will unfold for you. You can win that hands down every single time and sleep great at night. Never have to struggle, never be all torn up, never be just, just walking in the peace of God. You can demolish it. And then he walks through and says, here's all of the things that, that people and philosophies and, and really the, the, the world's using to build these strongholds, these strong cases. Now, like everybody's bought into, right? He says, here's what they, they use. First of all, they use arguments. And that word is where we get the word logic. It's reasoning. It's those false premises and false truths. He says, you can see how it's built, but, but those aren't what the word of God says. But you can destroy those too. And he goes on, he says, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, what he's talking about here, it's, it's the Greek word where we get the word hype. It's anything that takes a truth or takes a point that's being made and exalts it to a place of prominence and dignity. So this would be like somebody who's espousing these things, who's written a book, who has 14 doctorals around, behind their name. And so therefore you think, well, man, they're really smart. They must know what they're talking about. Nope. If it contradicts the Bible, it's foolishness. And I don't care how, how high respected, I don't care you know, how everybody fought, oh, but this person, you gotta understand, I understand what Jesus said. And there's nobody higher than him. And so it says, you have the weaponry it, within your own spiritual battle and the battle over your family and your children to demolish these things so that it gets to the point where if somebody brings this into your house, any one of your family members is going to be like, that's silly. Yeah, but you don't understand. Have you, haven't you read that? I, I don't need to. I read this. That's silly. We don't talk about that here because that's just crazy. We, 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 don't, we don't spend one minute arguing about it. We don't spend one minute debating it. That's, we, we know it's crazy. It's foolish. We don't live, live like that. And your children are living in a, in, a, in a place not of ignorance. They understand what's being said, but they also understand what the word of God says. And they were able now to destroy and demolish strongholds and take arguments down. And I don't care how lofty it is, they'll listen with respect, but they'll say, yeah, that's not what the Bible says. Because you, 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 you pull these things down, listen, and you take captive every thought and you make it obedient to Christ. That word thought is the word where we get every concept, every you know, little inkling, every sentiment, everything somebody shares. You're like, huh, well, that makes me think. But you don't try to figure that out. The first thing you do is you say, well, what does God's word say? And you pull out the weapon of God's word. And you say, oh yeah, that's contradictory to God's word. And the Bible, it's actually a military term. It says, when you see that, is you take it captive, you arrest it. You, you, don't, you, know, you don't wrestle. I know, but I know what the Bible says, but I feel, and there's no feelings. You, you do what an officer of the law would do, even if you feel bad or even if this or that, when the law is broken, you handle it. 
And you take that thought and you said, I don't care how warm and fuzzy it feels. I don't care how at odds it makes me with people that I love. Listen, the bottom line is the word of God is the word of God. And you make it, you arrest it, and you say, listen, I love you. I'll always love you. I'm going to keep praying for you. But the word of God is the word of God. And you settle that issue. You know, there's a lot of Christians that live in turmoil because they won't settle it. They won't make a decision. Well, I know what the Bible says, but, but I also know that you, you have to make an arrest at some point. You have to get into battle at some point and say, no, I'm taking you. I'm putting you in prison. We're not going to talk about this ever again. And you're feeling some, I know, but I feel, you stop it, stop it, stop it. Stomp your foot, say, we're not doing that again. The Bible's really clear. We're putting this to bed. And it goes on and says, and we will be ready uh, after that to punish every act of disobedience once our obedience is complete. All right, so let me just recap quick and we're going we're gonna to end uh, in, in, in 10 minutes here. In Jesus' name. So we're in a war. Right, you have to understand that. We're in a war. Not every day, not every minute of the day, but there's a long-term strategy that's happening. And we're not in a war with circumstances. We're not in a war with people. We're not in a war with the government. We're in a war with words. We're in a war with ideas. We're in a war with beliefs and, and, and doctrines. And, and the words that we use to fight this war are the words of God. His words are established forever in heaven. Doesn't matter if people like them. Doesn't matter if they accept them. These words will always win out in the spiritual dimension, which is where everything is flowing from. And so we walk into the courts of heaven. We walk in armed with the words of God. But the world walks in armed with their words, and they're based on a lot of other philosophies and what-ifs and, and feelings and emotion. But listen, we don't, fight, we, we don't fight those feelings and emotions. We first change mindsets. Okay, this is not a time for me to be super warm and fuzzy and compassionate. I'm not going to be rude because I live in the fruit of the Spirit. But this is not a time for me to you know, be led by my emotions and my compassion. This is a time for me to put on my armor, put on a biblical mindset, and say the first thing we have to do is, what does the Bible say? And once we get to that, then we turn around and we take our own thoughts captive and we get those in the place where they need to be so we are warm and loving to people, but we're confident and resolved about what the word of God says. And then we can turn around and engage. And here's three quick practicals that everybody, we're talking to mama bears though, everybody has to engage. Let me give them to you and then I'll explain to you in brief. Number one, it's intercession. Number two, it's proclamation. And number three, it's interaction. Intercession, proclamation, interaction. We've already read them. They're embedded in these two passages, Ephesians 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 10. But let me just explain to you what, what they are. Uh, the word intercession in the Bible is really a technical term that is describing someone who's approaching a king on behalf of somebody else. So they don't just come strolling in there, you know, in their, their beach walkers and their, their tank top and shorts. But, but they come in there saying, hey, I'm, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here. I understand what I'm about to ask you. I understand the case I'm about to roll out. I've already done my homework. So I, I know, I mean, I'm not a theologian, but I already understand, you know, basically what the Bible says. And I'm coming in here, I'm coming in here on behalf of somebody else. This is what Ephesians 6:18, when it says, praying always in the Spirit. It means pray by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's helping you to know what you should pray and how you should pray, but it also is inclusive of in the language of the Spirit. In fact, here's the amazing thing about recognizing how God set this up. Romans 8.26 says, as a parent, you can be completely bewildered by what is going on. Oh, that's not the person I raised. 
How, how are they thinking? I don't even know how to understand, to get in the conversation. But you can be as lost and as bewildered as possible, and yet you can walk into the throne in intercession because Romans 8.26 says you have at, at your disposal a prayer language that you can just begin to pray and the Holy Spirit comes along and says, let, let, me, let me shape that and form it for you. And, and that, so we're never lost, right? So we can always go into the, in, into the prayer. But it's not just that. It's also using scripture and using words that we understand. Now, here's what you have to understand. Listen to me. This is the greatest, this is the first, but it's also the greatest place to engage your spiritual battles. Now, the way the world does it and the way you're going to want to do it, you're going to want to do your homework and understand so you can get to the conversation so you can somehow convince the person and I'm not saying that doesn't need to happen at some point, but that's never the first place, ever. Nor is it the, the most impacting place. The first place and the most impacting place is the place that your flesh will not think about and will not want to go, but that's why we don't fight according to the world. We, we go right into the prayer closet and we begin to intercede. In fact, I, I, I had a little bit of a head start, didn't even realize I was getting a head start, uh, but when I was growing up, I have, I have so many memories of being woken up in the middle of the night with my parents in just the other room, crying out to the Lord, calling my name, praying specific prayers, praying in the spirit, in their prayer language over me for some particular situation or sometimes just in general. They were interceding for me and it was so impacting on me that I can't tell you I did it because of an instruction, but when I began to have kids, I found myself up in the middle of the night kneeling at their bedroom door or downstairs walking around doing the same thing that my parents did for me, calling their name out before the Lord God, protect them. God, give them wisdom. Lord, put your covering over them. Sometimes praying in the spirit, I've got something that's just bothering me. I don't even know what's going on in their life, but I don't need to know. I can pray in the heavenly language and the Holy Spirit fills in all that gaps. And then at some point it's just like, okay, all right, I'm done. And I go on to sleep and I sleep like a baby. But this is so important and this is exactly what 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians 6 is talking to us about. We, we have to be doing it. Here's number two, proclamation. And it starts in intercession. So you go in there and you get this spiritual confidence and faith begins to rise and you're reminded God is who he says he is and something rises in you and all of a sudden you get a proclamation. Some people call it a declaration. All of a sudden there's a resolve and you're like, you know what? That's what the Lord says, and he's telling the truth. It's from the Greek word caruso, and it's literally a, a, a describing an official announcement that's made usually and especially dealing with something that's important. But, but here's the important part. It always comes with a sense of authority, and it always carries a, a spiritual demand that it has to be listened to, and it has to be obeyed. Has to be. You find this in Luke chapter four, where Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because God's called me to proclaim and to proclaim and to proclaim. And he's not saying God called me to say, hey, you know what I'm, I'm kind of wanting to happen and I'm just gonna pray. And he said, no, God called me to stand on the scene and said, it'll be the way that God said. In fact, many of you, maybe all of you, you've already done this. You just didn't know it. You didn't do it in the right way because you've prayed the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is full of proclamation. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's not a question, right? That's not an opinion. That's a proclamation. 
But then it goes on and says, thy will be done, or, or thy kingdom come and thy will be done right here on earth, just like it's being done in heaven. That's actually closer in the original Greek is come thy kingdom and be done thy will right here on earth, just like you prescribed it to be in heaven. That's a proclamation. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. You should pray with proclamation, with, with confidence from heaven that God will do what he said he would do. And, and I got to tell you that this, this came from my parents too, but I, I put this into practice early on. And, and listen, you should know you're the beneficiary of it too, because there's times that I'm walking around in the middle of the night and I'm praying in the spirit over my family, over my kids, sometimes individually, other times just in the grouping, but I'm always praying for the church my spiritual family, and there's times that I proclaim one of my favorite ones, and I'm just going to read it the way that I've got it in my prayer journal. Uh, I always have my Bible with me. I always have my Bible promise book with me because I never know when the Holy Spirit's going to prompt me and bring something up to my heart, and I'm like, well, that's good. That's good. Yep, I, I need to pray that right now. But I pray this one so regularly, and it's from Isaiah 54, starting in verse 13. All my children will be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of my children. That's not a suggestion. That's a promise from the Lord. And I declare it over my children. It says, in righteousness, we will be established. We'll be far from oppression, for we will not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near us. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of God. Whoever assembles against us shall fall for our sake. In fact, verse 17, no weapon formed against us will prosper ever. And every tongue which rises against us in judgment, I will condemn that, for this is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and my righteousness comes straight from God, says the Lord. And when I'm reading this, I'm not reading it as a suggestion. I'm reading it, I'm telling you, as a proclamation. I'm saying, all right, enough of this. No weapon's going to be formed against my kids. No weapon formed against my marriage. No weapon formed against me or the church that's ever going to prosper. I'm not saying they're not going to try, but it won't work not one time ever. And I can say this because God says, this is your heritage. It comes straight from me. You've got these weapons. Use them. And I just happened to take that literally. And it's worked for me for 37 years. And it's still going to keep on working because the Bible says this is how it works. Here's number three. Number three is then interaction. Interaction. We've got intercession. I've got to get into the throne room first. I've got to build myself in faith. I've got to let wisdom come. And then all of a sudden faith rises. And I'm like, okay. And I get out there with proclamation. I say, listen, it will be the way God said. And I'm declaring this. Remember, I'm not trying to win a war with a person. I'm trying to win a war in the, in the spirit and so even if the person, you know, never hears about this, which they don't, and, and they don't agree with me, well, that's okay. I'm not fighting you. I'm not fighting the person. I'm not fighting the system. I'm fighting those high-ranking shot callers that are saying, I'm going to take your kids out. No, you're not. I'm never going to let them get to heaven. Oh, yeah, they're going, they're going to heaven. They're going to heaven. And that's where this last one, interaction, Proverbs 22.6 says this, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, that word train is so rich. We, we could do a whole message on that, but let me just simplify a couple of things. The first thing that, that the, the, the first definition that comes, it literally means that like a Hebrew midwife would rub the palate of a brand new baby to trigger their sucking mechanism so they could begin to feed. And, and the message here is parents, don't wait and allow your children to make decisions. 
for what they think their life should be. That, that's a big thing. I don't know if you're paying attention about children actually getting to decide their gender, actually getting to decide, you know, their own way because that's that emotionalism theory that, that's being pushed. And the Bible says, no, don't you dare do that. But instead, you need to, early on, you need to teach them the principles of God and have them develop an appetite, a taste for godly truth, a taste for actual truth that makes sense, that has principle, that, that they can use to live on. You need to start that as early as possible and stimulate their appetite for what it means to, to, to move forward. But the other, one of the other main definitions is it has a picture of someone who's training a wild horse and they use it, they, they train him by putting a bit in his mouth. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to teach the horse very quickly and very early on, it's more painful for you to do what you want to do than for you to just do what's being required of you to do. And this is where parents are, 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 are to lean in and to teach their children from an early age how to bring their own will and their own desires under the submission of authority, including God, so that they won't have to keep bucking the system all the time. They can be led and instructed and mentored and shaped, and, but, but they have to be able to cooperate with it. And this is what the Bible says. And if and as you do that, here's the promise. When they're old, they're not, they'll not depart from it. Now, I wish I could tell you that was a guarantee that if you'll raise your kids right, they're never going to leave the Lord. They're going to be loyal. That's not at all what the Bible's saying. If the Bible promised that, it would violate their free will because they get, they get the opportunity to choose, Right? But the power and the promise is still very rich and it's there. It, it, it says two things. Number one, righteous fruit takes time to develop. Sometimes you'll be working with this precious little one who just requires every ounce of strength and patience every single day and you might not see any result until they're adults. And someone's saying, man, he's, he's the greatest guy. You did not know him growing up. You did, See all these gray hairs? See all this no hair? That's that person right there, right there. And so we need to be patient and we need to stay in the fight and recognize, you know what? Nope, the principles are going to work. But here's the other side. E even if you have somebody who does stray, and let's just say they say, I'm walking a totally different direction. Listen to me. What you put in their heart is incorruptible seed. And the Bible says that some people will try to suppress the truth, not wanting to acknowledge God, but as you're interceding for them, as you're proclaiming the truth over them, then they can push the truth down all you want, but it seeps up through the cracks. And it still talks to them. And wisdom's still calling them. And the Holy Spirit's still convicting them, saying, come on back. Come back to the Lord. You know better than this. You were raised better than this. And it's still talking because Mama Bear is interceding. Mama Bear is declaring, no, my children will be taught of the Lord. Great will be the peace of my children. I won't lose one of them. Every single one of them are going to heaven with me. We're going to celebrate. So you're declaring the promises of God. And as you do that, the Bible says that it, that it will work. Let me give you two quick quotes and we're done. Charles Spurgeon, the famous theologian, said this. He said, train up a child in the way he should go. Listen, but be sure that you go that way yourself. We can't expect our children to handle things in a godly way if we're not waging war the way God tells us to. They don't have the disciplines of prayer and intercession. They, they don't see them. They don't hear about how these mechanics work. And so they get out there and they're just doing the best they can to figure it out. We're responsible for that. Here's one more quote. This is anonymous, by the way. It says, if we don't train our children to follow Christ, the world will train them not to. And I'm telling you, that's very real. There's a war that's happening. But God's called all of you mama bears. 
to be so key and so instrumental and you're powerful. You've got all these weapons that never fail, but you have to use them the way God called you to. Hope you've been blessed by God's word today. If you're a mom this morning, if you're a mom, if you're a mom this morning, you have children, whether they're with you or not, if you're someone who's pregnant with a promise and you're believing God for a fractured family or you're believing God to be able to have a family of your own, I would love for you to stand. We don't want to embarrass you, but we want to acknowledge you and we want to be able to stretch out our hand and declare strength and blessing over you this morning. Look at all these moms. So privileged. I'm so on behalf of the Lord, I'm so proud of you today. Could have been anywhere. Could have been at brunch, could have been, but you're in the house of the Lord. And I'm just proud of you for that. And I believe we're gonna ask the Lord, he's gonna bless you especially for that today. Everybody stretch out their hand. If you know the mom, you can touch, uh, touch her gently or you can stretch your hand out, but it doesn't matter. Just get your hands out there and let's declare this. Heavenly Father, we thank you from the bottom of our heart for the moms. Thank you, Lord, for this arduous and very spiritual task that they have, they have stepped into. Lord, for all the ones that are, have, have had to go farther and stretch longer and be more patient and work harder than they ever thought they could, thank you, Lord, for their tenacity. Thank you, Lord, for their mama bear heart to fight for what's right, to fight for their family, to fight for their marriage, to fight for their children. And Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus today that you would strengthen them from the inside all the way to the outside. Heal every hurt, cover over every disappointment, every discouragement, blow all the confusion out of their mind, all the fatigue, and like the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, quicken them this morning. Give them a jolt of supernatural life. Let them remember who God's called them to be, that they're not fighting a losing battle, but in Jesus' name, they will be victorious and great will be the peace of their children because they were willing to lean in and put the word of God in its rightful place. We bless them today, Lord. We celebrate them today, and we thank you for them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.